as I get settled here, a couple of things. One, uh, Pastor O'Dowd is on a much deserved and needed time of vacation, and uh, he is out for the next two weeks. Um, also, um, I have been uh, struggling with a bit of an inner ear issue, and so if you start to see me lean left, don't worry, particularly if you're watching online, it is not your television, it is not the cameras, it's me. So just tilt your head a little bit and I'll be straight again, so, so don't worry about that. Um, the, uh, just also, the pastoral search committee and all their hard work have been watching uh, um, online, church after church for candidates. They've been watching their services and their sermons. Uh, and you should know that they have said to me uh, that we should be most grateful uh, for this amazing worship team that we have here, uh, as they watch so many others. So, it is a delight, to be clear. Um, and then finally, uh, the word of the day, kids, is sanctification. So, uh, parents, uh, for each time I say sanctification, you have to give your kids a dollar. Um, hey, inflation is hitting everywhere, okay? Seriously. So, including here, inflation does not escape this environment at all. So, no, seriously, a, a welcome to everyone. I'm delighted to be with you. My name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And it is certainly exciting to share God's Word with you. So, if you have your Bibles, uh, either electronically or otherwise, please open them to 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, uh, the first chapter. Um, starting in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Merciful and gracious Father, indeed, we can only boast in your word. For it is your word that reveals to us who you are. Your word reveals to us who we are in you. And Father, I pray for this morning that you would use your humble servant to bring forth your word. For I know that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word endures forever. It does not come back void, and it is that which transforms your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Bible is full of dynamic tensions. 
between two things which appear sometimes in opposition with one another. You might have heard the things like the law and the gospel, the complete distinction between God and man, and yet man being made in God's image, the old self and the new self, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. J.I. Packer addresses this very idea in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. He writes, For the whole part of intimity in the theology at, this, at any rate is that not a real comp- uh, contradiction, though it looks like one. It is an apparent incompatibility between two apparent truths. And intimity exists when a pair of principles stated side by side are seemingly irreconcilable, yet both are understandable. There are cogent reasons for believing in each of them. Each rests on clear and solid evidence, but it is a mystery to you how they can be squared with one another. Today, we're going to unpack one of those tensions. Martin Luther puts it this way, simul justus et peccator, or at the same time, righteous and sinner. Said differently by Stephen and Juliet Trafton's daughter, Audra, Daddy, if we are saved from our sins by Jesus, how do we keep sinning? The answer to this tension is sanctification. Our text today in verse 30 states the key theological doctrines about those who are in Christ or those who have put their faith in trust in Jesus. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. These doctrines are all related to the sovereign work of Christ. As our text tells us, But let's look to understand the particular doctrine of sanctification. This morning, our text will lead us to three main points. One, who we are. Because of God's sovereign grace, we are sanctified. Two, becoming who we are. Because of God's sovereign grace, we are being sanctified. And three, how we are becoming who we are. By the triune God's grace from the Father, in union with the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will become sanctified. There's a lot there. So let me go back so if you're taking notes, you can get that all down. One, who we are. Because of God's sovereign grace, we are sanctified. Two, because becoming who we are. Because of God's sovereign grace, we are being sanctified. And three, how we are becoming who we are. By the triune God's grace from the Father in union with the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will indeed become sanctified. Before we go too terribly deep 
Let's define sanctification. It's a big word, a lot of letters. Chapter 8, section 1 of the Westminster Confession of Faith defines it this way. They who are once effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified. Really and personally, through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection by His Word and Spirit dwelling in them, the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts thereof and more and more weakened and mortified, and they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Point one. To help a little bit, I think, we can see the Greek word for sanctification can also be translated as the word holy. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 4.4, that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor. 1 Thessalonians 4.7, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Hebrews 12:14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Another way to think about the definition of sanctification is to think about being holy. As Leviticus 19 puts it, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God am holy. Maybe one final way would be helpful if you think of it this way. Being the image of Christ as we were created to be. You know, I think for so many of us, we, we think of this idea as a, as a journey, something we're striving towards, like, like we're getting there or you know, we can see it out in the future. We haven't quite arrived, and we're on this journey towards holiness. And along the way, we often compare ourselves to others, don't we? We say things like, I'm much further along than that guy. Or, wow, that woman is way ahead of me. And sometimes, in despair, we might think, I may never get there. However, the Bible often uses the term sanctification in a more definitive way. Sanctification is often stated in who we are now. Because of God's sovereign grace, for those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, you are sanctified. We have already, through our union with Christ, a holy status. Scripture makes this clear. 1 Corinthians 1-2, at the beginning of this letter that we just read, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ. Acts 20, verse 32, and now I condemn you to, I commend you to God and to the world of His grace, which is able to build you up to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Hebrews 10.10, 10, 
And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You see, the consecrated status forms the foundation from which we grow in holiness and godliness in our lives and in our relationships. The text reminds us that Jesus Christ is our sanctification. And the Westminster Confession of Faith tells us that having been called by God, we have a new heart and a new spirit. And thus, we are sanctified. The importance of this cannot be understated, nor can it be passed by. We are in Christ, which is necessary in order for us to be godly people. This is why the Westminster Confession of Faith starts first with this idea in the definition, and why Paul in his letter to the Corinthians starts off this way as well. So, let me help a little. I love baseball. Matter of fact, I just went to two Rays game and had a delight, although they lost one and won one. So maybe I have no luck to them whatsoever. But I've loved baseball since I was a kid. I used to watch a lot of baseball on TV with my dad on Saturdays. And growing up in Northern Virginia, I was an Orioles fan. I watched a lot of baseball. And I dreamed on the day of playing in the major leagues. But you see... In order for me to be a baseball player, I had to play baseball. I couldn't just watch it on TV. I had no status of a baseball player until, in fact, I played baseball. I must be rooted first in this status that I was a baseball player from the moment I first played the game. And only then could I get better and better and to grow in my status as a baseball player. For those of you who are curious, no, I never did make it to the major leagues. <laughs> in order for you and me to become more and more like Jesus Christ, we must be sanctified by Christ, called by Him. Our hearts and minds must be set right by Him. We must keep in mind, as one commentator says, that all the New Testament exhortations to personal godliness rests on the definitive work that God has done for us and in us. In Christ, God has made us His, consecrated us in Christ to himself, he has broken sin's former dominion, rendering us free to live unto him. And so we now obey God because we can. As many like to say, the imperative, or what ought to be, rests on the indicative, or what is. We are called to be what we are. This takes us to our second point, becoming who we are. 
because of God's sovereign grace, we are indeed becoming who we are. We are sanctified, and we are becoming sanctified. Or, as the Westminster Confession of Faith puts it, we are further sanctified, really and personally, through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. We are growing into the people God created us to be. The ones who put their faith in Jesus are set apart from sin's power and sin's practice. We see this in Scripture all over the place, particularly in John 17, 17, which, by the way, is our Wi-Fi password. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And we are in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. And lastly, Philippians 1.16, and I am sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Back to Audra's question and Luther's statement, at the same time, righteous and sinner. Another way to say this would be, at the same time, sanctified and being sanctified. Again, the Westminster Confession of Faith puts it well in chapter 8, section 2, and it reads, This sanctification is throughout in the whole man, yet imperfect in this life, there abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part. Whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. We are through faith in Jesus Christ made righteous. Therefore, we are sanctified, set apart, holy before a holy God. We have the status of forgiven for our sins and forgiven of the penalty of sin. In Christ, we can know and experience the goodness of God. Yet, underline that word. As the verse just mentioned, and the Westminster Confession of Faith makes clear, sanctification is imperfect in this life. And so, Audra and everyone else who asks the same question, this this is why we sin, even though we are saved from our sins. The kingdom of God has come in the incarnate birth of Jesus Christ, yet it is not fully consummated until He comes again. What theologians love to call the already, but not yet. We are already sanctified. But we are not yet fully consummated to the glory that is before us. 
And so we sin. But, but, as the late great Paul Harvey said, for those who remember Paul Harvey, at the beginning of his radio show, and now for the rest of the story. Our third point today helps us to see how this, in this imperfect life, we are being sanctified. How we are becoming who we are. By the triune God's grace from the Father in union with the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, we are being sanctified. Paul's first words in our text today give us insight into this issue. He says, remember, consider your calling. How you grow in holiness is rooted in your first calling and by whom you were called. He is saying, don't think for even a millisecond that we can do it ourselves. Just as our calling is from God's power and grace, so too is our sanctification. We cannot try harder or be smarter or hold each other more accountable. Those are good things, but those are not things which will lead us to holiness. How we grow in holiness is rooted in what I will call the three R's. Revelation, repentance, and restoration. In our lives and in our days, God reveals to us through the Holy Spirit that which is not holy. Some of these seem quite easy. The big ones in particular we like to pick off, like, you know, like we made it up on our own, like murder as an example. You know, sometimes we think that that's like a human invention, we shouldn't murder. Like somewhere in our history and in our past, some guys said, you know, we really shouldn't do that, we should have a law for that. And, and somebody said, yeah, that's a great idea, and then we just sort of passed that down from generation to generation, that, that it was kind of like our invention, that that was a bad thing for us to do. But that's not true on two fronts. One, God revealed that to His people from the beginning of time. And two, in the hearts of those who don't know God, where the Spirit does not reveal it to whom God has not called, for many of them murder is not wrong. Maybe for others but not for them. Our history is full of these people. The small ones, however, big ones seem so easy, but the small ones can sometimes seem so very challenging. But God reveals to us how we fail to be holy as He is holy in every aspect of our lives. Now, I'm going to do an example of how that might work. I do it with some trepidation because it could come off the wrong way. 
I set this up not to be judgmental, and I'm certainly not trying to bind anyone's conscience. Only God is the Lord of the conscience. My hope is that this example gets us to see how God can reveal Himself in ways that are both real and personal. There is a Coors Light commercial on TV right now that speaks of the tagline, Coors Light, the official beer of everything unofficial. (laughs) In the commercial, there are a number of sort of things going on, and there's just one small segment where these two people go down to seats right down close to a sporting event. I think it's a baseball game, actually. And it's quite clear they're sort of sneaking down there and they're looking at each other like, hey, we made it. We're at these really great seats that we didn't actually buy, but no one was sitting there, so we went down to the seats. And as I watched the commercial, I was with some folks, I'm not going to say who, and we started to talk about this idea. Do you or do you not think it's okay to go down to some seats that you didn't purchase, you purchased the higher nosebleed seats for cheaper, but no one was sitting in those seats. And maybe, maybe you've been watching the seats as the game went on and no one's ever gone into those seats. And maybe it's the fourth quarter or maybe it's the later innings. And those seats still seem to be empty. Is it? Or is it not? okay to go to those seats. Now, again, I'm not going to tell you what my, my perspective on that is, and I'm not going to tell you how that sort of conversation all went down. But what I think is important to understand is that God reveals to us in those moments holiness. And it is real, and as the Westminster Confession of Faith says, it is personal. It's how He reveals Himself to us. Maybe He reveals to you in that moment, in that thought that I just planted in your brain, a certain thing. God reveals to us how to be holy. He reveals to us what is holy and how we are to be in His image. Again, this is not judgmental of anyone, but it is a way, an experiment, as it were, to think about how God reveals Himself to us in the everyday aspects of life. Personally, I had a disagreement recently with a dear brother of mine. I know, that is hard to believe. And during that disagreement, I struggled with who was right and who was wrong. You might be thinking, as I was at the time, who was right and who was wrong was in regards only to the subject matter. But the Lord revealed to me that honestly that was less important than the fact that I was wrong in how I harbored ill will toward my brother. God made it clear to me that I carried with me anger and a lack of of love and care for my brother in Christ. And so I did the second R. I repented. I asked the Lord to forgive me for how I treated this person in my heart. 
I asked this person to forgive me for how I treated them in my heart. I was not kind and humble, as is our Lord. And by God's grace, I grew in godliness and holiness. The Westminster Confession, chapter 8, section 3, says this. In which war, although remaining corruption for a time may, uh, may much prevail, yet through the continued supply of strength from the sanctifying Spirit of Christ, the regenerating part doth overcome. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It speaks of that which is to come in perfect holiness. When Jesus comes again, He will consummate His kingdom, and there will no longer be a not yet. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 states it this way, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. The final R, he will restore all things to their perfect glory. We will no longer sin. We will no longer desire to sin. We will be sanctified. Why do we sin when we have been saved from our sins? Because while we are sanctified by the work of Jesus in His life and death, we are being sanctified by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we will be sanctified by Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present yourself blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you have called us. You have called us to be your own. You have called us to put all of our faith in you, all of our trust in you. And you sanctify us. You, Father, make us righteous. And yet, as sinners, Father, we are growing in holiness because, Father, by the power of the Spirit, you reveal to us that which is not holy and that which is holy. And by the Spirit, you give us strength, Father, strength to repent, strength to see that which we have failed to do and to do that which is good. Father, you will restore all things. And you will bring glory to all your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.